You are now listening to Ridge Talks, the podcast created by students for students. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. River Ridge High School's brand new podcast, and today is the teacher edition of Ridge Talk, which I'm sure you're all very excited about because you get to hear us all the time anyway. Hosting today will be myself, Mrs. Bolger, and the voice of River Ridge... <laughs> <laughs> Miss Reed Christian. Hello. Yes. <laughs> Hello. All right. So being so close to Halloween and because we've had, you know, conversations about this before, we decided that we were going to do a Halloween-y kind of topic, and that's going to be hometown hauntings. So we're going to talk about kind of spooky things that have happened or that our hometowns are known for. I guess what I would ask you is, do you consider yourself a believer? How do you feel about the paranormal and all these stories and legends, etc.? I do think I I'm a believer. I have had a couple of personal experiences. I've observed some things that didn't seem to be real. I think of myself as a believer. About half of my family does and half of my family doesn't. Mm. So that makes it a little interesting at home. I'm just always intrigued by it. I love to read the stories. I love to listen to movies and podcasts. Mm-hmm. So You know, I was that person that, you know, we had a cabin on Watts Bar Lake when I was growing up. I'm sure you know where that is. It's kind of between Knoxville and Nashville. Yes. And it was one that my grandfather had built. And there was this this old closet in the bedroom that was always like half cracked open and there was one of those like really old dolls in it and I can remember just like laying in bed thinking that doll was haunted that it was going to come to life and it was going to attack me you sure. know I mean my life. so I always felt like I was one of those people who was inclined to believe in things like you I've had some personal experiences that have led me to I'll say that I believe in energy so I'll put it that way like I'm not sure I believe in full body apparitions and things like that sure. I, I'm not sure as far as I believe there are energies that make things happen and, and all these leave it at that. So anyway, so we're going to um, start our hometown hauntings today. We are both coincidentally from the state of Tennessee. Miss uh, Christian grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. So we are going to be sharing some stories, some spooky stories about some places in our hometowns today. And so I would say that the spook factor is much higher on yours as far <laughs> as, you know, like demonic entities and like really kind of scary stuff. I mean, mine's a little bit more low key um, and maybe has a little more history and well, you're has history as well, but I mean, we'll just say you're never going to hear Zach Bagan screaming at Dr. James Harvey Baker to reveal himself. <laughs> you know, you reveal yourself. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to be, um, if you don't know who Zach Bagan is, he's on Ghost Adventures. But anyway, um, I'm going to be telling the story of the Baker Peters house in Knoxville, Tennessee. So this story begins a long time ago, and it really begins during the Civil War in Knoxville. And to understand the history of the house, you have to look at and understand the history of Knoxville during the Civil War, because it was not like other parts in the state, and it was not like other states in the South. Knoxville was interesting, or East Tennessee was interesting, because it was a mountainous terrain. It was not a place where people were going to be growing tobacco or cotton, and so they didn't have the investment in slaves that people in the South did, other people in the South did. So, there were many people in East Tennessee who were aligned with the Union, and there were many counties in East Tennessee that wanted to secede from Tennessee when Tennessee seceded from, you know, the Union. So that leads us to the fact that there were a lot of kind of split alliances within Knoxville. There were people who 
backed the Union and there were people who backed the Confederates. And both armies loved Knoxville because it was becoming a railroad hub and a manufacturing center. And so it had things there that um, were very beneficial to an army. All right. And so Dr. Harvey Baker, who we're going to talk about, his name is actually Dr. James Harvey Baker, was a physician or a doctor in Knoxville and built this home. And I think it was like in 1849, it says, for his family. It's in West Knoxville. If you're from that area, it kind of sits right at Peters Road and Kingston Pike. Kingston Pike is one of the main thoroughfares that runs through Knoxville. There used to be a lot of like historical houses along Knoxville in that area, but when they built Pelissippi Parkway that connected I-40 with the mountains, you can now, you used to have to all the way, drive all the way up and go through Maryville and then to get right. to the mountains. Right. And, and so when they cut it across, they tore down a lot of the houses. Baker Peters' house remained. So here is the story of Dr. James Harvey Baker. So according to many accounts, Dr. Baker was a uh, Confederate sympathizer. So he was thought to have been using his home as a makeshift hospital for wounded Confederate soldiers. And an official in Knoxville who was a kind of a snitch for the Union Army, his name was William Hall. <laughs> Not the Will Hall we know, you know, who's the, the chorus teacher. <laughs> his name is Dr. William Hall, and he apparently revealed to the Union soldiers that he was treating these Confederate soldiers in his house, the wounded soldiers. And so they went to his house and they, you know, marched in and they demanded that the soldiers, the Confederate soldiers, surrender to them. And, and Dr. Baker ran upstairs and barricaded himself in his bedroom upstairs and they shot him through the door and he died. The hole is still in that door today. The bullet, the bullet hole is, I've touched it. It's still in the door today. So that was the end for Dr. Baker. However, his son gets even better because his son at the time was off fighting for the Confederacy in the war. And when he found out that his father had been killed, he marched downtown and he killed William Hall. <laughs> he shot him. He shot William Hall. Um, some say that they had like a long-standing grudge that was like beyond just what happened with the killing of his father, but others say that he was seeking revenge for his father. And yet there's more. But wait, there's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. So then a bunch of crazy, angry mobsters were so upset, who were supporters of William Hall and of the Union, were so upset at what Abner Baker had done. They raided the jail. They pulled him out, they took him out, and they hung him by a tree and shot him. Oh my gosh. So, sounds so Mark Twain, you know, it reminds me of that thing with Sherburn and Boggs in there. And and let me just also say, reading that, it reminded me of like something that had just happened like a week ago or something that I'd heard like out in India or somewhere right. where, sure. you know, so apparently angry mobs are still... Um, <laughs> still very prevalent, you know. I mean, it wasn't just during the Civil War. All right. So that is a lot of deaths and a lot of things happen. And that is the history of the Baker Peters house in West Knoxville. Um, oh, let me also add that there's a little bit more that adds to the dark history because apparently Dr. Baker was a slave owner and the very far basement of the house was where he kept the slaves. And he built a stairwell that went from the basement directly to his room so that he could either easily access the slaves to punish them and to maybe do other things that we're not going to even get into. But um, he was not a nice guy. He was not a kind guy. So there's a lot of bad mojo in that house. I mean, between uh, the, all the deaths and the slavery and the, the poor treatment and everything else. Moving forward. All right. So moving forward, I would say that over the years, there have been many instances or claims of ghosts being sighted on the property. People say that they see Abner Baker leaning over the balcony upstairs. There are people who will 
will drive by and say they've seen a man standing on this big stump out in front of the house. And there have been claims of people being touched, people being um, hearing chains rattling, things flying off shelves, um, stuff like that. And then you can actually find paranormal investigations where they have EVPs where they've heard, you know, where they've gotten the voices. And if you don't know what that is, it's an electronic voice phenomenon. <laughs> so they use these recorders to try and hear um, spirit voices. And so there's some documentation of that. Over time, this house ended up being, there were other families who lived in it, but ultimately in the 1980s, the house was bought by, we'll just call them, because I know them, we'll just call them Charlie and Tom. <laughs> They have people who were kind of deeply ingrained in the industry. I think they had worked with Ruby Tuesdays at one point in time. But they owned a restaurant called Hawkeye's Corner, which was down on the University of Tennessee campus. They wanted to do another one out west since they bought the Baker Peters house and they turned it into a restaurant. And that's where I come in because like many others in the... Read, were you a waitress? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All through college. All through college. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, that's what we did for a living back then. Our parents did not pay, did not give us money <laughs> to go out and do stuff all the time. So we worked, you know, and I worked at the Baker Peters house. I got a job there and I had heard stories about things being haunted, right? I'd heard the stories that the house was haunted or whatever, but, you know, I, I guess I would say I had a healthy skepticism, in other words. Not that I didn't believe that there was such a thing as ghosts or hauntings, but that I didn't know that I believed that place was haunted, right? Sure. But I have to tell you, I mean, working there, and I, I probably only worked there for six months. Working there, it was weird. I mean, there was... Like, you just felt weird, or... You feel weird. You do feel weird in certain certain parts of the house, like, um, particularly, like, upstairs was weird. The bar was upstairs, and you'd have to go up the staircase to go up into that area, and I always felt weird there. There were stories, I mean, there were things like the Hobart machine, and if, if you've never been in the <laughs> restaurant industry, the Hobart machine is like the big dishwasher, but the Hobart machine would come on by itself at night, lights would come on and off at night by themselves. So, finally, one day, we were prepping for our shift, slice lunch and you know, fill the ice machine. Fill the ice machine. Sure. And clean glasses. Do whatever, right? So we were prepping and there was this kind of this room that was like a kind of an alcove sort of room that was in between two other rooms. You know, they had like the built-in shelves that the glasses were on and then they had the prep stations and everything else. And so we were all in there prepping and we all were at the counters doing stuff all with our backs to each other in the room. And this glass just flew off the shelf. And I mean, <laughs> flew off the shelf and landed in the middle of the room. Not like fell off the shelf and landed on the ground, like propelled out into the middle of the floor. And we all just kind of slowly turned around and looked. I mean, there was no one around. There was nothing. I mean, it just, it just came out there. And I was like, okay. That's a big nope. And you, you're just like, <laughs> You got me. Yeah, no, I mean, I believe. I guess that when you have these experiences and stuff, you got to believe something's there. And, and I believe that these spirits linger, whether they're just like residual or energies or whatever. I just personally think they're there. Again, I'm not sure I believe in the, I don't know, the demons and the, you know, I mean, like a lot of stuff I do believe for sure. And that's my story of the Baker Peters house. Okay. I have one question. How old was Abner? Was he like a teenager? Was he an adult? You know, I am not sure, but I... He was fiery, I guess. My guess would be he was young. I would say like late teens, probably yeah. early 20s is what I would guess if he was fighting. 16, in the 17. Yeah, if he was fighting in the sure. Confederacy. Now I'm going to turn it over to Reed Christian and her story of the Bell Witch, which is another huge Tennessee legend. So Okay, so when Ms. Bulger and her crowd asked me about doing this, you know, I thought about all the ghosts in Nashville. Downtown, there are ghost tours. There's all kinds of places you can go, like Union Station, 
was the big train station in Nashville, mm-hmm. and they've got some sightings, the state capitol, the Ryman mm-hmm. Auditorium, you know, the Grand Ole Opry, of course. I did the state capitol when I was down there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And even like Traveler's Rest and the Carnton Plantation has a big Civil War tie-in because there were, you know, generals that were killed in battle and were laid out on the porch, and mm-hmm. supposedly they still walk and all that kind of stuff. But today, I wanted to introduce you to another famous ghost, maybe the most famous spooky story in the area around Nashville. Although the circumstances were first brought to light in the early 19th century, the story itself lives on and lots of people still swear that they've had first person encounters with this entity. I don't know what you would call it, but this is the story of Kate Batts, better known in Tennessee as the Bell Witch. (laughs) The story starts with John Bell, a wealthy and influential farmer. John and his wife, Lucy, lived on the Red River in Robertson County, and they had nine children. The Bell family settled into their life, and they regularly attended the Red River Baptist Church, and John was a deacon. But in the summer of 1817, things started to change. Members of their family started seeing strange-looking animals around the edges of the property, and then, like, really late at night, the family started hearing these knocking noises on the exterior walls of their home and the doors. But soon, the noises moved inside. That's when things started getting real. (laughs) Um, They heard knocking inside, but then it was like they heard something chewing on the bedposts, almost like a rat. Um, They heard chains, which, by the way, what is up with the chains? I I, I don't understand why spirits feel the need to drag around chains. I don't understand. (laughs) Well, but I... But I think that that you said this, wasn't this in the 1800s also? And I think that there's a lot of that imagery with the chains and the slavery and things like that as well. I guess. So weird. Anyway, so chains were drug around the house and the children said they could hear the sounds of what sounded like stones and rocks being dropped on the wooden floors. And ultimately, everything became too disturbing. The children started having their hair pulled and their noses pinched, which apparently was a thing. (laughs) No, I've never pinched a child's nose, whatever. Um, And they started to have bruises on their arms and legs from kicks and slaps. And there was even an angry voice heard shouting just hateful threats and evil things at John Bell and his young daughter, Elizabeth. They called her Betsy. Now, the Bell family was terrified, but they didn't tell anybody for well over a year because they were afraid that nobody would believe them. And ultimately, the situation escalated to the point that John confided to a neighbor, James Johnson. And the Bells invited the Johnsons to spend the night and to have supper and the Johnsons saw it all happen. They experienced the exact same thing. They heard the same noises and Mr. Johnson said to John Bell, you know you're in over your head. You need a lot of help here. So he said we should tell more people, especially the people at the church so that we can figure this out and make it go away. More people became aware of it and the Bell family told people but it only made things worse because rather than try to help the Bell family, people showed up at their farm just to see and to experience the entity and they wanted to see the Bell Witch. So more and more people came from miles around to witness the unexplainable events that were happening at the Bell Farm and this entity seemed to become even stronger and and even spoke more and more often to whoever would listen and at one point the reason that we refer to the Bell Witch in Tennessee, we refer to her as Kate, is because the spirit identified itself as 
Kate Batts, who was a neighbor of the Bell family, that John had rooked out of money in a land deal. He had stolen money. The Bell witch or Kate Batts or whoever this was really hated John Bell, but she loved his wife, Lucy. It was reported that the witch would tell people Lucy was the kindest, gentlest soul of anybody she'd ever known. And once when Lucy was very, very ill, the Bell witch came to her bedside and sang to her to comfort her. (laughs) Along with her hatred for John, the Bell witch increased these attacks on Betsy to such an extent that the family wouldn't leave Betsy alone. They were afraid that this entity would kill her because she was young and would be defenseless. So during this time, John Bell began to suffer these mysterious attacks in which his tongue would swell to the point that he could not eat or drink or talk. And during these, the witch vowed to kill him multiple times in front of multiple people. Well, by 1820, John Bell's strange medical afflictions were happening more and more frequently and were getting worse and worse. And then on the morning of December 19th, John Bell was found in his bed, unable to be awakened. His son, John Jr., went to the cabinet to get the medicine that was prescribed by the doctor, but the bottle was missing. And in its place was a small vial that contained a dark liquid. Never a small vial. And when the family (laughs) sent for the doctor, Kate, the Bell Witch, spoke aloud and told them it was no use that she had used the vial to poison Bell. And indeed, John Bell died the next day from poisoning. Hmm. So after John's death, the Bell Witch worse than the, the nose pinching. Right, right. She just kind of ramped it up. Um, so after John died, the Bell Witch lost interest in the rest of the family. And later in the spring of 1821, she announced she was leaving and said she would return seven years later. And she did. Bell Witch visited the home of John Bell Jr. and had long talks with him about the past. Now, here's the deal. All of my research says she didn't appear. It was just this voice in the air. That's so weird. Like, he would just sit and have these conversations. And so I'm wondering, was it an audible voice or was it in his head or were they all crazy? Right. Is it like telepathic or something or right. are they like hearing it like it's coming over the intercom? Was there mold in their cabin and so they have these <laughs> brain diseases? What's, what was really in that bottle? Right. Yeah. What's really in the vial? Anyway, anyway let me just ask you real quick. Yeah. So do, is there, and you, maybe you're going to get to it, but isn't there like a cave? I mean, is there a there cave? There is. On? Okay. So there you're going to get it. So anyway, she told John Jr. details about why she killed his father and then announced once again she would leave and would return in 107 years, which would have been the year 1935. After John's wife Lucy died, the Bell Farm was divided among all of the children, but nobody, imagine, nobody wanted to live in the old house. (laughs) Who knew? And as a result, they used it for storage, and then they eventually just tore it down. But the Bell Witch stories don't end there. Some people who live, it's Rutherford County, but it's Adams, Tennessee, so Mm -hmm. they call her the Bell Witch at Adams. So is that like a little bit west of Nashville? Okay. Yes. All right. So um, some people who live in Adams, Tennessee today don't believe the Bell Witch ever left. They think that she stayed, even though she promised to leave for 107 years, because, you know, she was a nose-pinching, vile-placing kind of entity, and so they figured, right, she would stay. (laughs) Rather than returning in 1935, most folks think she simply stayed and lived in what's called the Bell Witch Cave. Mm. And a lot of modern-day visitors to the cave have reported seeing this figure of a dark-haired woman floating through the passageways of the cave, and others have heard these strange sounds like, what do you think they hear? 
It's chains being dragged through the caves. <laughs> being dragged. Um, and in 1977, which oh, feels like it wasn't that long ago. But well, that's because of how old we are. Actually, but I mean, was it's like um, ancient for these chairs. Yeah, yeah so I know. Like hundred mm-hmm. years. No, um, five soldiers from a nearby army base were visiting the cave, and one of them told the others he didn't believe in the bell witch. He just said mm. it out loud, and um, suddenly something that none of the others could see grabbed him and flung him down and pinned him to the rock. And pinched his nose. And pinched, yeah. <laughs> he became a believer. They fled yeah. the cave. So the longtime owner now of the land that houses that cave, his name is Bims Eden, claimed to see this floating human-shaped figure that doesn't leave footprints in the snow and strange lights floating out in the field by the cave and the figure of a young girl who occasionally shows up, materializes out there along Highway 41 out there in Rutherford County and runs alongside the Bell Farm. But they say more than one person has seen this young girl and have thought they hit her and have stopped to try to make sure they didn't, you know, injure someone positive. They had struck the child only to find that there was nobody there, no trace of her. So even today, when something unusual or unexplained happens in or around Adams, Tennessee, (laughs) it is assumed to be the mischief and the handiwork of the Bell Witch at Adams. Of the bell witch I, I can't tell have you. Have you gone was, out there? Have you ever gone out I there have, before? I yeah. Have. But when I was growing up, there was a number you could call, uh-huh. and it was the bell witch's phone number. <laughs> Because apparently they have those like in the Santa cave. Claus. Right. I mean, I was in like the second and third grade. So give me, Hello, give me a break witch. on that. This is what I want for Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's really funny is when you called it, now that I think back, it was like a dial-up DSL line, like a dial-up <laughs> internet line. That's what it sounds like in my head now that I think back yeah. on it. But then, I, you know, we didn't know what that sound yeah. was. We had no idea. There's also a road just outside of Nashville and Brentwood that... Because your family's in Brentwood, right? Right. Right. It's okay. really steep. And if you park on it and put your car in neutral, your car rolls backwards. It rolls up the hill. So is that like one of those like vortex things or something that is yes. supposed to... But in yeah. Tennessee, it's because of the Bell Witch. Even though uh, we're nowhere yeah, near yeah. the Bell Witch Cave, we assumed that she was pushing the car up the hill because that's what somebody told me. And I was extremely <laughs> And I believe gullible. them. <laughs> and I believe. There are just things. Like, I, I don't know about you. You have a dog? Used to. Mm-hmm. Used to have a dog. Okay. Well, I mean, like I have multiple cats and multiple multiple dogs and you know my animals just do weird they sit, stare at the corner and they stare at the corner yeah. and meow or stare at the ceiling and meow and do and it's just i'm like stop you know, it stop it <laughs> stop it right stop now it. yeah Don't know what i you know because so, you always feel like they see things or hear things but they also have much in tune and stronger senses than we have like right. they hear thunder a substantial amount of time before i ever hear it they hear dogs barking three streets over they hear a lot of stuff that right. i don't hear but still they need to like check that a little bit because <laughs> i will think that there's something Thing going on. Yes, yeah, um, Maybe we'll do this again, and so we'll have to find us another ghost story. But um, as I would say, it is the moment that I really thought this is I possible. have no explanation for this, you know? Well, I will say, I have a friend who um, was having some unusual activity in a house. It was a new house, mm-hmm. but it was on, on old land. Right. And so I convinced her to let us bring out another friend of mine who had a ghost hunting business at that time, and they mm-hmm. brought out the EVP and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And literally, it was terrifying. I mean, it was two o'clock in the morning. We're sitting in an empty house. It's a perfectly nice house. (laughs) And there were probably 10 of us there. And they put that box in the middle of the room and we were sitting around the room with our backs against the wall. Is it one of those spirit boxes? Yes. Well, no, it talks. And so it it pulls the waves out of the air. And so, you know, they were saying, well, it could be like, you know how baby monitor can pick up a cell phone or Mm -hmm. can pick up what's going on in somebody else's house. 
house. And so a lot of people were like, we can debunk the, mm-hmm. that. It's not mm-hmm. really happening, whatever. But they would ask this spirit mm-hmm. specific questions. And the answers were specific to the family in the house. And it terrified me. And then I had to drive home <laughs> in the dark. I know. And, you know, I, I think that's one of those things, too, where it's like, I think I would rather not know. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, if there was something in my house and it, until something happens to me, I yeah, think I would just, like, rather not know. No. No. Because if I knew, then I would just think about it. Because I'm like that. I'm like a dog with a bone. You know what I mean? I just obsess over things. Right. <laughs> You'd be looking for stuff like here. I would be looking for everything. It's like the getting sick. I've had 1,700 COVID tests. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting. I wish they would be, you know, they had that paranormal investigator come in here in the media center. Did you see her speak when she was here a few years back? I didn't. Yeah, it was really interesting. She was talking about how, she was talking about how, like, real paranormal investigations are nothing like those shows and stuff, that those things take forever to develop and stuff like sure. that. And that nobody has those kinds of experiences at that rate when they go into a place and stuff. So, but who knows? Maybe she was just sour. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe she was just sour because she hadn't had on, but... I don't know. I think it would be cool, but by the same token, there are certain things that I am not willing to... Mess with. Mess with. Don't want to poke that bear? I do not. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I'm the same way. If you've never gone on a ghost tour in Savannah, do that because they are are so fun. On my last note, when I was trying to investigate to find... Because I really wanted to try and do something like around here as well. I don't know if you knew this, but that hot dog haven place down there that used to uh, be here that is now like a wine place. Yeah. Apparently pretty haunted. I didn't know that. Really? Yeah. I saw some stories about it. The hot dog place was haunted. So it's a lot of... Hot dog haven haunted. That's a lot of alliteration. So we'll end it on an English note. We'll have to go strolling downtown Woodstock at some point after dark and see if we can... Well, it's not there anybody. anymore. They, I guess the property's the same, but yeah. I guess, you know, it's that wine place. If we look in the windows, they'll, <laughs> yeah, they'll be like, for what sure. are you doing? <laughs> you got ghosts in here? <laughs> I know. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, we got to go. We probably extended our time a bit. But listen, thank you for doing this with me. It was a lot of fun. You guys continue to listen to Ridge Talks here at River Ridge. These kids are doing a great job and super proud of them. And I hope you will continue to stay tuned. Bye. Bye. This week's BOP is spend time with a family member or friend that you haven't spent time with in a while.